We are, we are actually in Matthew chapter 8. We're going through the book of Matthew. We just finished the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7. And we could actually categorize the, uh, the teachings of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount very broadly as um, Jesus demonstrating authority in his words, the authority of his words. We go to chapter 8 and then in chapter 9, and it's the authority of his works. Actually, in the book of Matthew, there are, there are miracles recorded, and in chapter 8 and chapter 9, there are 10 miracles recorded in those two chapters. And in those two chapters, more than half of the miracles that Matthew talks about are in those two chapters. So chapter 8 and 9, so there's a purpose for what he's doing in these next two chapters. It's to demonstrate the authority that Jesus had by the works that he did. And again, the whole purpose of Matthew's writing was to demonstrate to the Jewish people. He was really writing to the Jewish people that Jesus was the Messiah. And so he's giving evidence of that and giving proof of that. And actually, when Matthew records the miracles, if you look in the, the, the parallel accounts in other Gospels, they're shortened. They're not as long. He just kind of cuts out a lot of the details and just gets to the point. Okay, so let's look at... Let's read. We're going to read... 1 through 17, and then we'll do it in three sections. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. He was on the mount. It was a mountain. Well, I actually had the privilege of going to Israel, and I was on the Mount of Beatitudes, traditionally where they said Jesus uh, spoke. It is awesome. It's not a mountain mountain. It's just this sloping hill that, that is high and just kind of gradually runs way down to the Sea of Galilee. It's just awesome. It's just this big green field. And so he came down. They say the mountain, but it's a hill. He came down from the mountainside after his, his teaching. Verse 2, And a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy, and then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, My servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, Shall I come and heal him? And the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Really? I mean, really? we'll get to that later. <laughs> He was amazed and said to those following, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would, and his servant was healed. At that moment, when Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. 
He touched her hand, and the fever left her. She got up and began to wait on him. And when the evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God that we have that is truth. Thank you for Jesus, who was the word who became flesh. Thank you for the things that we can learn. But Father, we can't learn unless your Holy Spirit reveals truth to our hearts, to our spirit. And so we ask for revelation this morning for everyone. For everyone, we pray that the words spoken will be clear, but Lord, even if they're not, We trust you to touch each one of us with what we need to hear, what we need to receive, because we're in your presence today. And so we ask that you speak to every one of us. And we welcome your presence, your manifest presence, Holy Spirit, in this place. Do the things that you desire to do with us, in us, through us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, the first section is the is Jesus comes down from the, from the mountainside and there's a leper there and he calls out to him. He, walk, he comes down the mountain, large crowds follow him and a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. There aren't many people that knelt before Jesus, but this man did. And why did he kneel? Well, I think we all know he wasn't supposed to be around other people. Anybody with leprosy was to be isolated in another separate community apart from normal life in Israel. They were not supposed to be contacting anyone. And if they had to go into the city, they needed to, if they were coming, meeting someone, walking towards someone, they had to cross to the other side of the street or get out of the way. And they had to call out, leper, 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 so that people would know to avoid them. And so they were completely shunned. Not a very fun way to live. And this man comes to Jesus and kneels before him and says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I am willing, and he does something contrary to the law. (laughs) He touched him. (laughs) He touched him. He didn't just say, I'm willing, be healed. He touched him. Reached out his hand. And I don't know if he put his hand on the leprosy, whether it's on his hands or his face or wherever it was, but it says Jesus touched him and he was made whole. How many of you have gone to God with a prayer request? You've asked him for things, but the biggest, most nagging question is not can God do this, but will he do it and will he do it for me? I never have issues with that question, obviously. <laughs> laughing. I'm a pastor. We got it all together. Oh, watch out for the lightning. <clears throat> that really is the, 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 one of the major questions that we, we struggle with, wrestle with. I know you can do it, God. I know you can do it, but will you? Will you? Will you do it for me? And if you do, when? How many of us have been praying for things and they've been... Delayed, delayed in coming a long time, a long time. But there's something else here in this, in this situation with the leper that I want to talk about. 
And it's the fact that the leper was someone who was probably the lowest of the low. Now, often in the New Testament scriptures, and especially in the Gospels, they talk about Jesus associated with publicans and sinners. He, he hung out with prostitutes and tax collectors. And, um, and they were, as far as the Israelites were concerned, they were really the low of the low. But the leper beats all of them because they were shunned from society. And I think Matthew uses this particular story because what he's demonstrating, one of the things he's demonstrating with Jesus is that there's nothing in anyone's life that Jesus won't reach to. There's nothing so bad. There's no issue in your life. There's no habit. There's no sin. There's no difficulty that you have that God will not reach down and touch. There are probably places in our lives that we hide from God. Things that we think, oh, well, it's beyond. I've, you know, I've kind of prayed. I've kind of asked. But <clears throat> there may even be some things that we don't even ask about because it's just too hard to go there. It could be a recurring sin or habit that just we can't get free from. There's something that we just keep doing we can't get away from. And it's like I'm, I just take that thing and I, I just try to push it out of my mind and out of my memory. When I fall in it, I just, just let me alone. And, and, and we can think that that part of us is untouchable, it's uncurable or incurable, and it's best if I just keep it out of my mind. But the amazing thing about Jesus is he's not offended. He's not offended by those things. Or I should say he's not offended by us and the fact that we fall into him. He's offended by the fact that it's hurting us. See, he loves people. He hates sin. He really does hate sin. He hates sin because of what it does to people. He hates what it does and how it diminishes their lives. And he realizes that we're trapped. Many times we're trapped by things. We're trapped by issues. We're trapped by sin, recurring sin over and over again. It's like, when will I be free? And think, well, when I get to heaven. I mean, that's, many times that's our are thinking, well, I know when I get to heaven, then I'll be free. What if God wants to free you now? (laughs) What if the reason that Jesus came was to free us now? Is he willing? Is there anything that is too deep, too dark? You know, and we have this way of, of... even in our sin, we're prideful. That's, well, pride, sin is pride. We can be kicking ourselves, putting ourselves down, saying, I'm no good because I keep falling into this sin. And yet we're so proud that we think that Jesus won't reach that low, however low we think that is, to help us and to rescue us from that. And so my, my encouragement, my admonition to you today is to allow the Holy Spirit to examine your life. And if there's anything that's in your life that you avoid dealing with or feel like it's a permanent kind of that's the way I am kind of issue, are you willing to let Jesus be willing (laughs) to set you free from it? Because the truth of the matter is that's why he came. And that's why he went to the cross. And that's why he died. To pay for all of those things. Everything, everything, everything. 
And I don't, you know, we can tend to think that my problem is worse than anybody else's. You ever think that? You ever think that your, your issues are probably unreachable? Why? Because they're yours. And why do we feel that way? Because we have pride. And we think, well, I'm so good that my bad things are just overpowering God's goodness. And it's ridiculous. So you've got to confess pride and then the sin to get to it, right? Sometimes you have to do that. Get rid of the pride first and humble yourself to deal with it. But what is it in your life that... And I want you to just think about that for a minute. Well, don't just think about it. Ask the Holy Spirit. If there's anything in your life that you've kind of just pushed off, brushed off, pushed to the side, haven't dealt with, uh, or have tried to deal with and haven't had success the kind of success that you want. It's a recurring kind of thing. Oftentimes it's a sin, a habit. Ask him. Ask the Holy Spirit. Let's just take some time right now. Let's just do it right now. Holy Spirit. We want you to examine our lives. We want you to help every one of us to be honest with ourselves, first of all. To be honest with ourselves. Put your finger on anything in our lives that we have kind of set off to the side to say, well, I've tried this and it doesn't, I I haven't been successful in overcoming this, so I'm just going to leave this over here and just go on with my life. Holy Spirit, would you put your finger on a thing that you want us to come face to face with and to be willing to bring it to the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. If you're willing, you can make me whole. If you're willing, you can set me free. And the truth of the matter is, that's why you went to the cross. So Holy Spirit, speak to us now. Minister to us right now. And open our eyes to the things that you want to touch in our lives. You know, if you need to make a note, if you need to write something down, write it down. Just remember that. Remember, whatever the Holy Spirit prompted you. And if he prompted you about a particular issue or something, then he wants to set you free. He wants to help you in that area. He wants to bring healing to your life in that area. Let him do it. No part of your life is unreachable or untouchable. And you know what? 
Sometimes we're hesitant to go to the Lord, <clears throat> and we really shouldn't be. There's nobody, there's no one who's more compassionate than he is when we come to him with our problems. Nobody more compassionate. Nobody more excited and, and willing and wanting to set us free from those things. Nobody. Nobody. He does not take delight in our suffering. He does not take delight in our struggling with recurring issues in our lives. He wants us free. So pursue him in that. Verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed, for I myself am a man under authority. The soldiers under me, I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. This is one of those, one of those stories that fascinates me because... Because it's another, if you don't really think about it, it's kind of an outside-the-box kind of a deal. It's a centurion. A centurion was not a Jewish person. He was a Roman soldier. He was under the authority of Rome. He's one of the people that was in charge of keeping the Israelites in place, ruling over them, restraining their freedoms. Capernaum was Jesus' adopted home. He grew up in Nazareth, but when he started his ministry, he moved to Capernaum, which was just up the, just up the hill from the Sea of Galilee. And he comes to him, and he says, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. He doesn't ask Jesus for anything. He just says, my servant's at home suffering terribly. And Jesus says to him, so what do you want? You want me to heal him? What's the de- what, do you, what do you want? <laughs> you just want to tell me something. Will you just give me information? or?" And Jesus just says, shall I come and heal him? I think Jesus knew where the conversation was going. He said, shall I come and heal him? And he says, well, listen, I'm a a man with authority. I tell this one, go when he goes. I tell this one, come, come. And I understand authority, so just speak the word and he'll be well. And Jesus says, see, this is what's crazy. I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel. Now, wait a minute. I mean, think about that. This guy doesn't know any Bible verses. He hasn't been to any church services. He doesn't, he doesn't do regular religious things. Matter of fact, he's not even really a theologian. He's a soldier. Do you, hear, do you understand what I'm saying? He comes to Jesus and says, my servant's sick. Well, you want me to come and heal him? No, just say the word and it'll be done. And Jesus says, I have not seen such great faith. Well, wait a minute. How can you have faith without all the other religious stuff going along with it. What's Jesus saying? You understand what I'm saying? There's something, there's something to this. I'm not saying that you have to throw all that away. What I'm saying is sometimes we get caught up with the religious stuff and we, don't, we miss the basics 
of just believing the authority that God has and that Jesus has in our lives. We miss the authority. Here's a guy, he just understands authority. He knew that Jesus had power and authority to, to do things. And so he just comes to him and says, my servant's sick. You want me to come and heal him? No, I'm not, I'm not worthy. I'm, do, you hear what I'm, do you hear what I'm saying? I'm not worthy. You ever feel like you're not worthy? You ever feel like your problem's too bad that God can't deal with it? You see what the first two stories are talking about? It's, trying to, it's, it's taking the bar... It's taking the bar of who, who can come to Jesus to be set free, to be healed, to be made whole, to be delivered, and he's putting it as low as he can to include everybody. <laughs> Even you. <laughs> and especially me. I haven't seen such great faith in all Israel. He's a soldier. He doesn't even go to the synagogue. Faith. No wonder the, the religious leaders didn't like Jesus. He never gave them that kind of a compliment. You know, Jesus was amazed one other time. There's one other time that Jesus was amazed. You ever, anybody have an idea where that is? What, what was it? One other time. That wasn't that. He went to... Yeah. Ah, he was amazed. And where was that? When he went to Nazareth. Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. And in this story, he's amazed at his great faith. So the town that Jesus grew up in rejected him and he couldn't do any mighty works or many mighty works because of their lack of faith. He was amazed at their lack of faith. And so some centurion comes along who's a Roman soldier, doesn't even have any Jewish anything in him. And Jesus says, I'm amazed at his great faith. What are we supposed to learn from that? See, there's something there that we need to get a hold of that maybe we don't quite understand, but we need to get a hold of so that we don't get sidetracked into doing a lot of things that don't count for anything. There's a lot of religious things and religious activity that we can get involved in. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that Reading the Bible and praying, those are all things that we need to be doing. We need to be growing in our relationship with the Lord. But sometimes we can get so religious that we miss some of the basic things like simply trusting God and having a clear understanding of the authority that he has. So what do we do sometimes? Well, if we need an answer, we'll go through all kinds of religious exercises. And well, maybe if I try this, well, maybe if I try that, well, maybe if I do this... And believe me, I've been on that treadmill. You've been on that treadmill? Maybe if I do this, God will be happy enough with me and he'll answer my prayer. We don't always say that, but we think it. The centurion didn't have any of those things going on for him. He just knew that God had the authority. And so sometimes when we come to God and we ask him, we need to understand that he hears us. Okay? There are times when he says no. 
Not often. Because most of the things that he says are yes and amen, right? So keep asking until he says no. Or he directs you in another way. But there's, there's something about our pursuit of God and trying to get answers. We want answers. I know there are a lot of us that have issues in our lives and we want to see people that we need crying out for healing. Crying out for healing. The issue is God has the power. He has the authority. He has it. It's there. It's there. And we believe it. So how do we go through the process of waiting until he gives it? Well, we never, we never lose faith or confidence in the fact that he can change things in an instant. How long was that guy a leper? Well, I don't know. I don't know how long he was a leper. I don't know how long the centurion's servant was troubled. But I do know that there was a man born blind, and he was probably about 40 years old when Jesus healed him. And the disciples asked him, and said, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his father, that he was born blind? And he said, nobody, but so that God's glory may be demonstrated. But that guy lived his life 40 years being blind until it was God's time to heal him. And, and so what are we getting into now? Well, I don't want to go here right now, but we're getting into God's sovereignty. And I can't explain that. Because God is God, and I can't really explain everything about God. Sorry, haven't quite read the whole book. I mean, I read the whole Bible, but I've gotten the whole book on God's sovereignty that I know him so well that I can explain everything about him. That's what I meant. (laughs) See, words, words, oh my goodness. Okay, where am I? I'm kind of lost. I'm just kind of rambling there. We just pursue him because we know that he can do that. And there's something about understanding. See, the centurion knew that there was a flow of power in Jesus. There was authority in his life, and he wanted to tap into that. He wanted to tap into that. And so he wanted, he he knows how authority works. He knows that there are people over him that tell him what to do. And there are people under him that he tells what to do to accomplish a purpose. And he knew that Jesus came to the earth and had authority, and he had authority over everything. And he knew, if I can just tap into that, I got my answer. And see, we need to have that kind of an attitude, that kind of a trust and confidence in God. that He can change our lives in an instant. In an instant. And I believe that we're going to see more and more of that. We're going to see we are trusting, we are believing God for a full release of miraculous power that we will see not just a few people once in a while saved or, and healed, but a multitude of people, multitudes of people saved and healed Amen. right away, instantaneously. More people than not. I go, I've been to meetings. I've been to meetings where it's healing ministries. And a lot of people get healed, but most people don't. Most people don't. But we know that in revivals throughout the centuries, throughout since the birth of the church, revivals, when they come, nearly everybody gets healed in those. Nearly everybody. And we believe that God's about to move again in a powerful way in our time to do amazing things. And so we're going to continue to pray. We're going to continue to press in and believe him for what we know that, that he wants to do and is going to do. So anyway, authority is the right to command. It's, authority is the right to command. 
Now, here's the deal. I shouldn't get into this. I'll just mention it. We'll get into it some other time. Jesus had authority to heal. He gave that authority to us. And so we need to be people who pray for others that they get healed. And we've spent time on that, talking about that, and even trying to uh, lead by demonstrating ways to pray for people, to pray for healing. Um, But I don't want to get into that this morning, but we probably should review that at some point and just encourage you again to just pray. Pray for people that God will heal them. But I wanted to just deal with this one other portion in this in the scripture where it says that uh, verse 10 and following says, When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say that to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now what does that mean? What is, what is, that's what most people think. But you know what, the, what doesn't make sense about that? I mean, that's normally what it means. But what doesn't make sense is says, the subjects of the kingdom. Those that are in the kingdom, they won't go to the feast because what is the feast and how does that make any sense? And how do you throw, does that mean you lose your salvation? I don't get that. What, how does that all work? Well, let, let me try to give you my understanding and you can take it or leave it it's just one of those tough ones right i have a feeling that there's po- it is possible for people who are in the kingdom who are saved we talked about this last week it's possible for people to waste their lives they can they can come to faith in jesus they can trust him as their savior and not live for him and not really grow in their relationship with him and waste their lives. They build that building on the sand, that house, their life on the sand, and the storm comes and it's destroyed. And others build their their life on that solid foundation. And that's not just people who either trust Christ or don't trust Christ, but I think that's those who, who, because he says, if you obey my words, if you put into practice my words, at the end of chapter 7, if you put into practice my words, then it'll be like building your house on a solid foundation. So here's what I think it is. When we get to heaven... We're going to receive rewards. And the Bible talks about those rewards, gold, silver, precious stones, for the good things that we did in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. And for the things that we wasted our time on, we'll get wood, hay, and stubble. And the fire of God will come and burn all that up, and whatever can be burned will be burned, and what is left will be the precious. And then we're able to take that, and we're able to offer that to Jesus as, a, as, as an offering to him. But can you imagine... See, this is where we, have a, we, we don't quite have a perspective of heaven. We're, we're really earthbound. If you were to come before God and you spent your life just doing whatever you wanted, you, you, you trusted him when, as your savior when you were a little kid or some, at some point in your life, but you never really followed him. You never became a disciple. And so you have this pile of stuff and burns it all up. And you have a few scraps of gold and silver. And you have to walk up to Jesus and you see him in all of his splendor and you see him in all of his majesty 
And you, you realize that he was the lamb who was slain, who shed his blood so that you could be free, so that you could walk in a glorious inheritance. And you stand before him and you have this little pittance in your hand. You're going to be weeping and gnashing your teeth. You're going to go, why didn't I do more? Why didn't I do more? Why did I waste my life? Can you imagine looking around and seeing people that have a, dump truck, a, a wheelbarrow full? Like they, they have so much, you know, they have so much to give. And you come with a handful or just ashes. See, we don't have that viewpoint. And I believe that for a time there will be among believers weeping and gnashing of teeth. But we know that God's going to wipe away all tears. But I don't know that all the memory of... Just it's a different perspective that we're going to have. But subjects of the kingdom are going to be weeping and gnashing their teeth. And I don't think, I'm not, and I, and I just, I, I feel that when we look into Jesus' eyes, we will just be completely undone. <laughs> I mean, it's not like, there's something about his penetrating eyes that just, lays everything bare just ah and we see ourselves as we truly are if it's not for God's grace we wouldn't survive would we <laughs> not for his mercy and for his kindness in that time in that moment so really I, since it's subjects of the kingdom I believe that's believers who are going to be just so so disappointed with themselves that they didn't do more they didn't have the faith of the centurion he just believed that Jesus had authority here's the other one other point and then I'll oh maybe we'll leave the rest of the scriptures for next week we also may be very surprised when we get to heaven and we see people getting their rewards we might be really surprised at the people who have the biggest pile of treasure to give to Jesus. You might be surprised. It's not the, not the names we thought of on earth. Not the people that we thought would be um, having the greatest reward to offer to Jesus. It could be those mothers that pray faithfully for their kids and intercede. Or those widowed ladies who spend their time on their knees praying and praying and praying for their Children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren for their neighborhoods. Who knows? You know, it's heaven's, heaven's perspective is so different than ours. And so I, I want you to consider these portions of Scripture and, again, examine your own life and see what it is that you're doing with your life. What is it that you are focusing on? What is it that you're not focusing? What is it that you're avoiding? What is it that you're not allowing God to have a place in your life? First of all, God is willing to help you with that area. He's willing. And you're not so low that he can't reach you. Not so low. And it's not so bad. There's nothing so bad that any of us have ever done that isn't covered by the blood of Jesus. Because the blood of Jesus is all-powerful. 
None of us is unworthy. There's no part of you. There's no aspect of your life. There's no aspect of your personality. There's no aspect of your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions that is unworthy of the grace and mercy of God. And for that, we can rejoice. (laughs) Even if it's a place of repeated failure. It's probably the place that God wants to go and touch you. Will you let him do that? Will you let him minister to you? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the incredible kindness.